All right, Gamble Nation. This is the Gamble Show, and I'm your host, Fred Gamble, a.k.a. Leader of Peace. We're talking about the Panther with the Eight Face. This is part three. Let's jump right into it. Let go. Are a lot of people that to this day experience seeing a white Bigfoot creature throughout the state, specifically the, the, the eastern part of the state, like not just East Tennessee, but from East Tennessee to like Central Tennessee, there's this this white Bigfoot feature people are, are seeing. And I just wonder if that was something that was created. I, and not to say that all Bigfoot creatures are created by, by people in labs, but yeah. I definitely think that, you know, like you, you've established on this show how people uh, in authority positions will use science to create their own little creatures. And if they know that if they know that Bigfoot is even a real creature, why not try to create it to be something that you want it to be? And on that point, so you mentioned about how the Clickitat 8 cat uh, is something that people are seeing, but it's not pursuing, it's not chasing people, it's not doing anything threatening. Do you think that maybe if it is a, a created creature that it was actually created to be more of a docile creature that only acts under its own training so that they could have been able to train it to act specifically towards things that they wanted it to, but it, in general, it's more just a docile creature? That's interesting theory. Makes sense. That's something I hadn't contemplated before. Wow, that's kind of a new puzzle piece as far as I'm concerned. Well, there you go. What did you mean to think about it? <laughs> um, yeah, because this notion of uh, what is this thing um, and what, because you would think a cat that big um, would definitely find humans as prey, but if it was part of a training program, it, that would be the exact opposite of what you'd want. Like you wouldn't want it to automatically go after people. You'd, you probably want to have to build some safeguards into it so that it was only on command that it's doing whatever you want it to do rather than yeah. ravaging the trainers or <laughs> what have you. Exactly. Or, or you know, if it's if, imagine if you let these things loose at the perimeter of the um, you know, that's the site, you don't want it attacking workers or anything like that. You want it to definitely be part of the deal. Yeah. But even so the thing about the whole experimental deal is that you know, there was this thing called Project Headgear where the CAA or one of these agencies tried to turn sharks into living torpedoes remotely controlled. They spent eight years and $16 million trying to figure out how to electroshock a shark into swimming in towards a boat. And then the plan would be they would stuff it with explosives and the shark would swim over there and then they'd detonate the shark. Eight years, $16 million. And the conclusion was this was a really bad idea. We should never do it. And... <laughs> But it shows you the mentality. And so whether or not they were successful or unsuccessful is not the question. The question is, is were they willing to try? And I think absolutely they were willing to try. I mean, like they were doing some, during the Cold War, it was all the gloves were off. They were thinking that they were saving existence itself. And so, yeah. Interestingly, this guy Bill Bear was a war hero, fought in World War II. And he, well, Gamble Nation, if you're living in America, that's what your tax dollars going to. Goddamn sharks with bombs on them trying to be kamikaze. I mean, goddamn, that's what my motherfucking tax going to? Bullshit. The specialty was amphibious warfare. And so that's just one of those details that's kind of 
sort of adds to the whole, you know, list of, you know, uh, I don't know, circumstantial evidence kind of, yeah, kind of thing. Well, I, I think I know. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, um, I was going to kind of move into another topic. If you want to continue on this one, then now's the time to get it in. Because no, I, I was just taking a different direction. I, and feel free to do so. I just, I was just going to comment because it just came into my head. The and I don't remember what the actual name of this dog is, but I, I know it as the Russian bear dog. And it, I was fascinated. Oh, I've seen this thing. They're giant, and they they were bred to to protect farms and ward off bears. And these dogs yeah. are very territorial, and it they're but they're great pets because if you're part of the family, they they're they're great dogs. But if you're not part of the family, if you're incoming from, it's like it will be to you exactly. And so, but that's all breeding. It was bred to, to be like that. And so that was my, yeah. my connecting thought. I was just thinking, like, maybe, maybe – because if, if you're going to have something so big and mutant that, like, yeah. you have to have a way of controlling it, and the best way to do it is in the lab while you're making this to breed it in a way where it's going to be docile. It's not going to have a natural inclination to, to attack humans and things like that. It's just going to – but it's going to be highly intelligent, and we're going to be able to train it to do exactly what we need it to do. And it's just, it's just yeah. a thought, you know? So there's a couple of theories about its size. Um, so jaguars are notoriously the hardest of the big cats to train. Uh, lions, obviously, in every service has got a lion. And it turns out that lions and jaguars can mate. And in Canada, maybe it's a place called Bear Creek, they have a thing called a jag lion. So this lion and this jaguar were living in captivity together. Apparently, they loved each other very much. And they were two offspring. And one of them is this enormous black jag lion and uh, you can see videos of it on youtube um, but it shows you that they were uh, why not interbreed these things some of the wilder theories are you know you look at this gravitational anomaly detection thing out there looking for anomalies in the space-time continuum there's some folks that you know over a couple of beers will theorize that maybe they <laughs> pulled something back from the Ice Age to some kind of time warp type of situation. I mean, the notion that there are portals out here is we have a number of people have come into the store and told us those kind of stories. Um, so, but more interesting, I think where I was going to go a little bit earlier, is that there have been UFO sightings around Hanford since the early 1940s. <laughs> So Washington State, highest per capita UFO sightings, also highest per capita Bigfoot sightings anywhere in the country. But the very first UFO, um, like flying saucer thing that set America on its path was the Kenneth Arnold sighting. This is a private pilot flying from the west side of Washington to the east side. He's traveling near Mount Rainier. He sees nine disks flying through the air. This is June of 1947. And um, reports them moving at speeds that are impossible for the time and basically they're flying from the north to the south and as he watches them disappear they're heading towards mount adams so that's the mountain that's you know 30 miles from my store and mount adams looks directly down at hanford like it's part of the whole geography of the area so you've got this and hanford has had numerous sightings of ufos around the nuclear facility itself so and I, you know, I, I don't know what to make of UFOs, whether they're 
from another planet or from another dimension. I don't have any strong opinion about that. My, I tend to think that they're probably from another dimension because of the portal activity we see out here. Well, there is a place uh, just south of Mount Adams called East City Ranch. It stands for Enlightened Contact with Extraterrestrial Intelligence. James Gilliland has been out there for decades, and people come from all over the world, and you can hang out on his property, camp out there, and they watch UFOs fly around Mount Adams all night. People come skeptics, and they leave believers. And so they claim to be in contact with a number of different extraterrestrial races. And one of those, one of the most important ones, apparently, because it's part of their logo, is they claim to be in contact with a race of feline humanoids. And um, so, again, like, the weirdness of the gorge is kind of off the charts. Like, there are so many weird things that um, are contributing to... And yes, this is another uh, warning from the Gamba Show. Don't take your ass out there to the weird ass spots she's describing. Uh, that's all I can tell you. You get snatched, you get ate. It's not on us. I don't want to hear that shit. I told you to stay your ass at home. Why this is such a hot spot? It was kind of like, you know, like when you're walking around the forest and you kick over a log and like you see all the creepy crawlies under there. Like that's been my experience here. Um, I should say that it's been utterly joyful. Like the idea of having a new Scooby-Doo mystery walk in your door a couple times a week and getting a chance to chat with folks. Um, you know, we try to maintain a, a cheerful attitude towards all this. And to me, that's one of the ways to protect the staff is by maintaining a higher vibration about what we're yeah you better um keep it cheerful in there you know you gotta go home after you hear some shit like that at work you know you got to go home i don't know about you but if i was one of them i'd be you know i'd be working some overtime so i could get saved with some money motherfucking move but uh hey to each their own doing and what we're up to and sort of not uh, having some of that negative energy, not perpetuating a negative energy type stories. And so, you know, when I say there's um, no reported negative or hostile encounters that may be an artifact of the way people report to us, mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's an astonishing place. And so I, I want to go back and explain a little bit of the geology because this is a theory that seems to make sense to me. So we've got, you know, we talked about this ape cat, but we've had reports of little people. We've had reports of strange uh, hominids, you know, like humanoids with like praying mantis-like heads. There's stories of these strange hairless dog-like creatures. Um, and some of them are just like one-offs, you know, like there's nothing that they're like in any literature I've ever seen. It's almost like there's this weird crossroads here where things pass through and um, and either you stumble into that realm or they stumble into our realm. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I'm trying to make sense of what I see here. And so 15 million years ago, so the river has been flowing for 30 or 40 million years. So there's a very strong current of energy running from the mountains into the ocean very established patterns, right? Then about 15 million years ago, this giant fissure opened in the earth. 
at the Idaho-Washington borders, 97 miles long, and enormous volumes of lava start spraying out of it. So much lava that if you took all the lava that came out of it and you evenly distributed it across the lower 48 states, it would bury the entire United States 60 feet deep in lava. Well, this lava is erupting, and it's very thin and ropey, sort of like the Kilauea lava you see in Hawaii. And it eventually runs 300 miles from the Idaho border through the ancient Columbia River Valley at that time, all the way to the ocean. So it's a 300-mile flow. They estimate that there was over 300 flow events that occurred over a course of a couple of million years. So in the gorge, we've got this layer cake of rock, and they form these uh, like columnar basalt, sort of like people see the Giant's Causeway, that sort of columny hexagonal stuff that looks really weird. Well, that's all through the gorge, but it's built up in layers. Now, this has a point, and the point is that so each of those layers, as it's cooling, the magnetic grains in it, so if all this lava has magnetic or iron material in it, orients towards the Earth's magnetic north pole at the time that it cools. It is locked in at that orientation. Well, the Earth's north pole is always wandering. The last 100 years, it's wandered over 700 miles. And so the next lava flow that comes, as it cools, all of its grains orient to the new magnetic north pole. So each one of these layer cakes, and in the gorge you can probably see 20 or 30, maybe even 40 of them in some places, each one of them has got a different magnetic signature to it. You add on top of that this gigantic flow of water that's been flowing here for millions and millions of years. And that flow of water is now captured by 14 dams, hydroelectric dams. And these dams produce 44% of all of the hydroelectric power in the United States. The dams on the Columbia can power a city the size of Seattle and seven more just like it. And so all of that, literally the power of the river is converted into energy that we understand and use. And it actually fuels the whole digital information age, like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook. They all have server farms out here using this energy from the Columbia River. And all of that is being dispersed through these you know, high power, high tension lines. And so we've got that added on to it. And then about 2 million years ago, you get the Cascade Mountains that start rising up. So we're talking about Rainier and Hood and Adams and St. Helens. And these mountains are over 10,000 feet tall, all of them. They're stratovolcanoes. And so you've got that horizontal flow of energy coming this way. You've got this really strong magnetic energy that's pushing vertically up against this. All of that is to say that this is an extremely complex and nuanced electromagnetic environment. I, I told you earlier that the government navigation maps warn you in bright pink letters that your compass readings will be off in this area. Um, and, and then recently there have been these lava flows. There's this place called Broke Lake Barros. It's this lava flow, 8,000 years old. It's an area the size of Manhattan. It's maybe 20 minutes from the store. Some of those rugged wilderness you're going to find, but cell phones and compasses just don't work there. Um, and if cryptids are hiding anywhere, you know, there's but one four by four track that goes in there and leads to these weird pools of water. But beyond that, like the rest of Manhattan is inaccessible. No one has even tried to make trails out there. It's like this crazy micro canyons and caves and jagged rocks everywhere. So this whole place is really, really energetically different. And I'm not saying that in a woo-woo way. I mean, like, when you're talking about hydroelectric plants, you're talking about actual energy that's being used to convert 
you know, the things that we understand. The human brain has magnetite crystals in it. Um, five million crystals per gram in some structures like the hippocampus and the temporal lobes. And there's a scientist named, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. He created a thing, he's from Ontario. Um, and um, Michael Persinger is his name. He created a thing called the God Helmet. Basically, it's this helmet that you put on your head, and it um, is able to modulate magnetic fields. And people have had all kinds of experiences that don't seem to make sense, like sense presence. A few people have had the experience of you know, talking to God. And so it's really clear. His research is top-notch, peer-reviewed. He's written over 500 you know, scientific papers. The guy knows his stuff, and no one questions whether his results are real. Like, reporters have come and put on the helmet and have had these strange experiences. What I think is happening is that it's not so much that they're inducing hallucinations. What they're doing is they're shifting the human perceptive abilities. So you think about, um, as we perceive things, we all understand that we don't see infrared or ultraviolet light. We recognize that there are sounds our dogs can hear that we can't hear. We know that radiation exists, but we don't sense it, um, you know, tangibly in a way that, you know, uh, without a Geiger counter. So think about the human apparatus has a very limited band of perception. There's a lot of other phenomena that are going on that we're completely unaware of at all times, like radiation or infrared or ultraviolet light. We're just not tuned into it. It's not a part of how we're set up to perceive the world. And I think what happens when you get this magnetic fields influencing you is you're able to shift your perception and you're now seeing or perceiving things that you don't normally perceive. It's not some type of fabrication of your brain. It's your brain now recognizing parts of reality that normally are unrecognizable. And we have this, like I said, this crazy, nuanced, very unique electromagnetic environment here. And I think what happens when you've got certain solar activity that's going on, you know, in, impacting our magnetosphere, that when the conditions are right and the person is right and they've eaten their potassium or whatever it is, they can stumble into a zone where their perception shifts and they're able to perceive things that they don't normally perceive. And we have one story that really sort of brought that home for me. Um, but I'm going to pause because I've been talking for a long time. We'll give you a chance to no, ask any questions. No, again. keep it going. Keep it going. <laughs> I want, I, want to, so, I want to hear what you, yeah, I want to hear the story. So um, we had this really interesting report come in the story. This guy was living on Underwood Mountain. Underwood Mountain's about three, four miles um, west of the store. In fact, we can see it from the store. He's living there on the slopes of Underwood Mountain. It's about 3,400 feet tall. And um, there's a lot of wineries up there. It's a really cool place. In fact, it's very close to where that first APAT sighting occurred. So he sees these glowing orbs sort of dancing around in the sky in, above his field. Uh, they descend into his field and they turn into a set of glowing eyes and they begin approaching him. And like a switch, he was washed with fear. And it was not like it built up or something he was like, he talked himself into being scared. It was like, nope, someone flipped a switch and I was terrified. He ran in the house, got a shotgun, came back out, 
and the phenomenon was over. What's interesting is that Michael Persinger's work, he's able to do the exact same thing. He's able to flip a switch with those magnetic fields around the human brain and induce the sudden sensation of abject fear or bliss. And so that one story was like, ooh, there's something really interesting going on here. Like it's a f switch flipping at the same time this person is having a paranormal experience he's on underwood mountain which is again so you've got those layer cake of rock and then a volcanic activity pushed it into a mountain so this is a recent mountain that's formed so all those layers that all have the different magnetic signatures are in angles to each other now and he's standing there and he's perceiving this strange thing and he's getting emotion switched on and off in his brain it's even cooler is that right above where he lives we have pictures that were sent into the store of a tic-tac-shaped UFO floating right above Underwood Mountain, like you could draw a line. And I myself have taken a picture of a glowing orb at the river level. So it's like, like a ladder going up Underwood Mountain. And so I've got these photos, and it's this blue glowing orb. And you know, I've been working with Photoshop since the day it was released on a professional level. I understand how I could have easily faked this I know I didn't because I took the picture myself. And it is not a lens flare. It's not someone's headlights. Like, I I was there. I took the pictures. I was taking a picture of a strange beam of light that was coming down. And picture from two seconds before doesn't have the orb. There's the orb. And then picture two seconds after doesn't have the orb. And so, again, this is all in a straight line right on, right on Underwood Mountain. And... You know, these orbs are another one of the phenomena that we get a lot of reports about. My wife and I have seen them driving down Highway 14. So, again, I think that what's happening here is because of this unusual electromagnetic environment, under certain conditions, people's perceptive abilities shift and they're able to see things. And the reason why I don't believe it's a hallucination is that I have a photograph of the orb, like it, and we've seen many other photographs of orbs. Some of them are clearly lens flares or cell phone anomalies and things like that but some of them are very very real and hallucinations are not captured on film and so it tells me there's some kind of combination between things that exist in adjacent or nearby dimensions and here because we've had you know millions of years of apocalypse after apocalypse after cataclysm you know these enormous thousand foot floods and these lava flows you know, that are hundreds and hundreds of feet thick now. Like the boundaries between worlds have somehow been worn thin here. And things wander into our world. Like, like I said, maybe some type of crossroads or we wander into those worlds unknowingly and are perceiving things. Um, but to me, it's just what I love about it is like it's a place where there's still mystery. It's a place where all the questions haven't yet been answered. And, what an amazing place to set up shop and, you know, sort of be the go-to guy for weird stories. Well, that... Well, that got to do it for us, Combination. That was um, interesting white people problems. Uh, don't know what else to call that one. But... If you hanged in there that long, I got a new song for you. It's from T-Pain, Ballin'.
Thank you for listening. This has been your host, Fred Gamble, a.k.a. Little of Peace. Remember, don't be nobody crushed, because that sound of a gun going on the walk. Then you want to kick them down and fly the stairs. <laughs> hey, watch out for sex trafficking, because it's real. Watch your kids. They're doing weird things. And there's a serial killer on our Native American land. Y'all might want to check it out. Stop the violence. We are...